0: podcast platforms be sure to give me a follow on Facebook Instagram and TikTok as well at Matt Stocks DJ that way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates my DJ performances and of course who's coming up on the show as well but without further ado let's crack on with the show shall we here we go
1: ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well
0: first question is what is this <laughs> my arm. yeah
2: um it's um just is that like stuff. the
0: stuart lee thing show notes
2: stuart lee did not invent
0: writing on his fucking <laughs> no no ranch. but he's right. certainly the most obvious one when that comes to mind right um
2: i i every single comedian i know writes on their head really yeah i think that that's just a standard thing that that they do um uh yeah this is basically i'm writing a new show and these are some points that I've consistently forgotten to mention while I'm on stage. Or they're things that I haven't got around to doing and they're just reminders as like, if you have a moment, try and
0: talk about hundred percent. hundred percent. Go hundred percent.
2: Well, no. Well, I've got a bit <laughs> I've got a thing that I want to talk about uh, about um a hundred percent and I haven't really got around to uh, doing it because I don't, A, I don't think there's room thematically in the show that I'm writing, if you want to get into that, Yeah, a hundred percent. Which one? A hundred percent. is that deliver it? <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, so Because so, you're doing two shows at Edinburgh this year.
2: Right, right? yeah. So, I, so my, the first show I'm doing is called I Think You Stink, which is a musical, uh, it's like a horror movie based uh, anthology musical where uh that i wrote uh 11 years ago i took it up to edinburgh in 2008 and um like it was just just as i was beginning to start doing stand-up so i'd done edinburgh well i'll just tell you about the show for now <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah because you cause did edinburgh like 10 years down. on the trot, right I, i've done edinburgh i've, I've had Two years off, I think, or maybe it's three years off since 1997. Wow. And then I've written, I've done multiple shows a year sometimes. When I've done stand-up, and I've really been getting into that, you know, since my career's taken off in terms of stand-up, I've only done like one a year. But back in like 2008, for instance, when I did the musical, I was also in a double act, and I was comparing a show, and I was doing something else. So you'd end up doing like four or five shows a day um so there was this so this musical i did it's called i think you stink it's uh based on um horror
0: cliches and horror tropes um any specific decade or era of of horror no, no are...
2: it sort of like spans between the 50s and the uh between 50s and 80s really
0: so you go um, from kind of hammer horror into the slasher
2: we don't really yeah we don't really do any torture porn
0: Yeah, <laughs> like yeah and you don't do but, the universal um, sort of monster uh,
2: so yeah so I guess I guess there's one that's sort of like based on um, so basically what it is is it's it's kind of difficult to explain I've never been able to explain it. <laughs> but when I did it 10 years ago we had like 5 people come a day and then there was one day when it rained and we were sold out and I think we made 50 quid over the I think we only did it for a fortnight but we made 50 quid over the fortnight like profit and that yeah. was like unheard of I was just like oh wow we that's made, a win. We bought a bottle of whiskey and shared it around <laughs> Um uh, so it's not like a, str- a traditional musical in that sense, but it's kind of like little vignettes uh, that culminates in like a fifteen-minute rock opera. So there's like a werewolf one, which is sort of like about um, binge drinking culture. Okay, I mean it sounds wanky. Right? Yeah,
0: it Sounds. I love mo- I love monster movies and horror films, <laughs> well, and I, I love Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's
2: that sort of thing, right? Uh, but um, but also sort of like I think the be- not, maybe not the best horror films, but. It's definitely a part of the genre, especially with, with horror and science fiction, is that when you have kind of like um, social commentary in it as well.
0: With the classic B-movie tropes where you'd have, you know, an alien invasion, but it's actually a, a, a metaphor for exactly yeah, the, that, yeah. the Cold War, yeah. Yeah,
2: and uh, and, uh, and also like consumerism in Dawn of the Dead. So I've got like this, this I've got this this song called Beast Boy, which is about a, a, a werewolf. Uh but it's actually about uh, binge drinking, and it's like it's like getting absolutely hammered, and them waking up in the morning and not realizing that full moon being vibe. being surrounded in carnage and not <laughs> yeah, realizing yeah, yeah. what you've done, you know. Um, and then there's another one, and there's, and there's like some straight like spooky things. I think it's like it's I'm I'm quite proud of the show because um, there are jokes in it. It's a really funny show, but they don't seem to be kind of like obvious kind of like there were a few setups and punchlines but really like the tone of it is so ridiculous and silly
0: that it's just good fun it's
2: sort of like tongue in cheek but it's but i think um but it's a, yeah but it's not like there's not like loads of obvious jokes in it it's kind of like more of like a more of like a vibe mm. yeah um, yeah yeah so yeah i i, I mean I, so that's, that's so that's the show that i'm most proud of. that's the one show that all of my friends in stand-up have consistently said, "Well, of course, the best thing you ever did was this show that no one came to see." That's twelve
0: years old, or and whatever, it's always yeah. it really annoyed me. When you so, put it to bed, did you leave it and not do any work on it until recently, or is it something that you've kept on adding to and tweaking and going back to over the last decade?
2: Um, the one thing I wrote the music with uh, my school friend George Mitten. Um, And and we didn't have a lot of time when we did it. And so now I I work with the music producer, uh, Andy Jones, and we did all the songs from uh, Uncle on it. We did all the songs songs from uh, Uncle together. uh, And I think we met in 2012, I think he did. uh, The first thing we worked on was maybe my Edinburgh show, This Means War in 2012. And then after that we worked on like Uncle and Heavy Entertainment and I've done two albums with him and we're working on a third album at the moment and...
0: Um, Is that out this year?
2: I think realistically because I'm doing Edinburgh in a tour and I'm scraping together two... Well, I'm getting together. <laughs> it's, it's weird because I've got... Um, I've got about two or three albums worth of stuff ready to record but it's case of what's appropriate for the show so my other show is called phoenix from the flames yeah and that's about kind of like um i haven't done edinburgh in six years i haven't done stand-up comedy in a year and a half uh there's been all sorts of like i've had all sorts of mental health issues over the last couple of years so it's kind of like this this sort of like epic show about uh returning from a break up and return from a breakdown and return from uh being away and uh doing something you know doing acting and then come back to stand up so it's about like, all these parallel things um and so you've got to be quite specific about what songs you use and so my initial thing was that I will use songs that pre-exist for that I've already written uh for my album and then it's just become more apparent that I've got to write some more specific songs for the show so that, you know. So what I've always did was I always like, used to write Edinburgh shows with like a theme. So I even I even said it in one of my songs. Um, I like to write shows with a bit of a theme in. Uh, never <laughs> stop, never stop, never stop dreaming. I did, a, <laughs> I did a show called Dare to Dream and that was all about dreams. So everything about that was about... Um, there are poems in it and it's all about aspirations and nightmares and, but they are all around like a spider diagram of dreams and then what are the offshoots from that. So this is all about kind of like rebirth and, well um, it should be when it's finished, it should be about like rebirth and uh, coming back and,
0: um, do you feel back already or are you hoping to feel back through the process of doing these, look, these shows is it a I'm, little of column a little of column b it's
2: but a bit of both because I'm not ready yet um but I think that you get ready in the time that you're given I think if you're given seven years, it'll take seven years but if you're given three weeks and you then you'll you'll have to do something in three weeks yeah. and it will be what it is um I mean I learned that I learned that. Most things that you do, you end up kind of like having very tight deadlines. So we did... Um, I've done two short films with the BBC. They were both on iPlayer. And I think the first one was Valentine's. Uh, was a Valentine's Didn't show. one of them get a BAFTA
0: nomination? That was that one. That the that one. Elephant, yeah,
2: that I wrote with uh, Esther Smith, who was in uh, Uncle with me. We met on Uncle. And I had this idea from... Um, I lived in Brighton in 2005, and, um, I had a best friend, um, uh, who was a girl, and we just hung out all the time, but we never had any money, so we were so skinned, so we'd be, like, making, uh, <laughs> We've been making uh, rollies out of uh, the ashtrays. Yeah, 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 but yeah. yeah. I've been there. The end and, of the night, like, oh god, the, not the end, not like, like the end, in the middle the, of the, the, of the, the day. day. <laughs> like, and we'd go to we'd go to um, art exhibitions so that we could drink the free wine. And stuff yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. You know, and so that you was find like, the loopholes. That was the basis for the for the short, and then uh, I pitched it as a TV series, and they didn't have room for a TV series at the time, so they had like this. Um, so then it, I said, well, short." Sure. Then they said, we've got the short season coming up for Valentine's Day. I was like, oh, great. And then I was like, if it's going to be online, uh, no one's going to watch it anyway. <laughs> Can I direct it?
0: And they were like, yeah, sure. So Was that your first time behind the camera? That was,
2: um, yeah, that was my first time. To, uh, I've done theatre for, I did theatre when I first started uh, doing Edinburgh, but then that's my first. And also you're kind of directing yourself when you're,
0: um a stand-up of course yeah yeah
2: but um i think by that point i'd done heavy entertainment so you're very sort of like hands-on if you're doing stand-up um the thing that makes you unique as a stand-up comedy is basically all your instincts so you know You decide what you say. You decide how you say it and what you do. And as soon as you start working in TV, um, everyone else suddenly has an opinion about what it is. And some people's opinions are bang on, and they know exactly how to package you. And some people... um, it's a job for them, and they don't necessarily give a specific shit about. They want the quickest you. and easiest. They're results. just like we've done this before. We know how to package new new comedy or new acts, and so we'll do a bang, bang, bang and Now you're on TV. So when we did heavy entertainment, I was very um, uh, protective of what I did because I'd done other shows where I'd been done live stuff, and I felt like. Um, it didn't best represent me. And in actual fact, when they um, when they asked me to do uh, heavy entertainment, I mean they asked me. I'd already just done a live. I'd already done a live. Um, a show. Uh, is this a bit dry? Are You interested? I'm fine, mate. I'm having a great time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so when we did when we did, uh, they asked me to do heavy entertainment. I'd just done a show, which is easily Googleable, But I'd just done a show where I'd been done live stuff on it. And um, I didn't enjoy that process. We were on at the, whenever we filmed it. We were on at the end of the night, which was the point where the audience got up and left.
0: And are they all drunk by that point? Or? No, they're not no. drunk because it's a
2: TV record. But right, so there's um, no alcohol on set. There is. I, I'm sure there would have been drinks, but it's not like there's an open bar yeah, when yeah, we're yeah. filming. They're sat down. So we're, 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 we're filming at BBC. Um, and uh, but it's like everyone co- it's like all oh right train they're getting
0: restless yeah yeah
2: yeah it's, just, it's also we did like two episodes a night so it's like a uh, and they get there at seven or six they probably get there about six we start recording about seven uh, and then uh, it just goes on until about I think we were probably on about quarter to eleven so they've been sat there for quite a while yeah and also TV audiences audiences on tv shows uh, tend to be like uh living props yeah, yeah where yeah. they're there for the audience at home's benefit to make it feel live um so they're not not that they're not treated brilliantly but like <laughs> i don't know how they're treated i don't do it but um but uh so we were on at the end of the night and then it'd be like uh, we were uh, i was it was a band <laughs> um uh, we, i did my band So it was me with my band and uh what's your band called
0: the helmets the helmets and uh, two t's es yeah yeah
2: um and uh and they'd go all oh, right music so everyone would get up and leave so we did all of these episodes of this show and you could see my dreams dying in my eyes and i was like so they said do you want to do a live show do you want to do this thing and i was like no i don't and they were like oh well we've got money so uh, we've got to spend this money by the end of the tax year. So do you want to do a pilot at least? And I was just like, well, I'll do a pilot. I've done a radio, a live radio show at Christmas. And then I said, oh, I'll do this pilot. So we called it Heavy Entertainment with this pilot. And then, um, and that was sort of like a bit of a nightmare where I wasn't in an exact fit with the guy that produced it. And then um, uh, they said, do you want to do a series? And I was, and I'd got a lot of, um, it was my first bit of TV and it was like, like that I'd sort of authored. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And because it was so personal. Uh, and I, I said, Do you want to do a series? I said, Yeah, but not like that. I don't see it because it had sort of like an arc where it was, there was a beginning, a middle, and an end. I had a breakdown. I was just like, You can't do that arc every week. So we'd have to rethink about how we did a series. And also, I just felt like it was so shiny, floor light entertainment the way we'd done it, which I guess could have been part of the joke. But my instincts were always kind of like, I like, um,
0: I guess the the equivalent of like a band going on top of the pops, right? It feels like that same sterile clinical.
2: Yeah. And and we were in a huge studio environment. We we're in a, Yeah. We were in a huge studio as well. And we didn't quite have the budget to fill it with stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it looked quite spacious, that pilot did. And it was kind of like the exact sort of thing that I didn't really want to make. But we, ha- but we had a month to do it. So this is the thing about time limits. This is how we started talking about this, is time limits. So I think I had three weeks to do that pilot from beginning to end. Right. So I, didn't, I went in. I think some people's dreams as a comedian is to get their um live stuff on TV. And I genuinely hadn't. I'd always wanted to do acting and directing and writing but I would never really wanted to do my stand up act on TV so we had three weeks to kind of like work out what that was, we did it, did the pilot from begin to end in three weeks and then it was like um, oh right, well not like that so when we had the series that so we, I, I, we I went back to work out what it was that I liked about TV, uh, stand up on TV and that all boiled down to stuff like Jack D's Channel 4 show from the 90s and um, Harry Hill's show from the 90s. Ni- it was basically all 90s stuff. Fist of Fun with Stuart Lee and Richard Herring. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and it was like it all boiled down to those kind of... Like, oh, uh, the Mary Whitehouse experience as well. And doing something that was kind of like very kind of like...
0: Um, well, no one's really doing that at the moment, are they? Well,
2: even when we, we did it for Heavy Entertainment, it was kind of like I wanted to... Transfer my Edinburgh shows to uh, to the screen, and the Edinburgh shows aren't big budget things. The, ed- the Edinburgh shows are me trying to do a Def Leppard concert in a porter cabin, you know. <laughs> and it's like, and you I just
0: saw them do Hysteria at Download and full, it was fucking brilliant. Was it good? It was really good. Oh, yeah, I've
2: seen them a few times. I've met, I've met um, Joe Elliott. Yeah, yeah, I've um, had
0: him on the show. He's brilliant.
2: Uh, yeah, he's yeah, he, he kind of like.
0: Alright, he's still a proper just like loves a beer.
2: Yeah. Have you seen the uh have you seen the Def Leppard movie?
0: No. Um is it as woeful as I'd imagine, but also brilliant?
2: It's sort of brilliant. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's like this big budget American kind of thing. I think they filmed it in Canada. And right. Canada is like doubling for Sheffield. <laughs> so they've got like, you know, it's like when they're all growing up and you've got like red pillar boxes, but this golden sunshine coming through. <laughs> and there's like a bobby on a bicycle going down <laughs> like this. But this uh, this uh, back lot that, that's meant to look like you know a generic british town but it's kind of (laughs) it's so americanized it's really crazy um but uh so when when we did heavy entertainment we're just like well what are all my favorite stand-up things and it wasn't kind of like the big glitzy stuff it was like and we wanted to have it like looking slightly not grubby but um low ceilinged and hot and warm and I well, then you get the
0: vibe when you're performing as well don't you
2: absolutely when you i mean some of my best ever performances were done on the heavy entertainment show and then we had to hack them down to like 20 28 minutes but um uh and we didn't really quite have enough time in the edit to work at where it was you normally get like um you know a, a couple of months in the edit or a few months in the edit but because it was so different from the pilot we never really got to pilot what the actual series was so we had like a five days per episode to edit two and a half hours worth of footage down to half an hour, so it was a nightmare yeah it? i'll
0: bet but um are you overseeing that as well
2: yeah you, i mean i was in the edit but like also but what we wanted to do is we wanted to do, um, the way it ended up being executed was different from the way it was filmed so the way it was filmed was to be and this is another example of how, kind of like, people don't quite understand your vision or uh, where you're coming from. Because um, I'd done Edinburgh for many years, and then eventually they said, Do you want to do, have a go at putting that on? Shane Allen, who's been absolutely amazing um, for me, uh, uh, he's always given, he's the one that, you know, let let me direct Elephant. And with what I was saying about time stretch was that with Elephant, we had. 1st of January, had to be delivered by the end of January. So we had four minutes from beginning to end. Me and Esther wrote that. Uh, We had a week planning it, a week to write it, a week to film it, a A week week to edit it, and then it was done. And then it got BAFTA nominated a year later, and it was just like, oh, wow. So that, and then The Killing Machine, which was the thing I just did, about what I did a year ago, actually, about boxing. I had five weeks from beginning to end on that, where I didn't even have a concept. And you know, and then I went to the gym and I did some boxing. I was just like, I'm shit at this. Let's make a <laughs> thing about this. And then we did it. And then I ended up, you know, going, Oh, actually, you know, um, they're very different tonally, but like they're also both sort of like romantic comedies in a way. And um, but you know, you have a limited amount of time, and then you do them, and then something amazing can come out of that. Especially if you go in without a preconceived idea. Sometimes this is a lesson to anyone listening. If you go in without, you know, you go. Um, Sometimes it's, it's frustrating sometimes because your pet projects are the ones that can, are constantly on the back burner. Yeah. And then they'll say, have you got anything for Valentine's Day? And you'll go, although that one was a pet project, but yeah. have you got anything for um, Easter? Yeah. And you'll go, uh, and just uh, it out. Uh, I've just been to the gym. <laughs> and then you'll do it. And then yeah. you'll go, oh yeah. And, uh, and it's a time capsule. Uh, yeah, It's whatever you did within that month at that time of your life on that year, and it sort of encapsulates that. But with heavy entertainment, when you're talking about like, um, when one is talking about uh, visions not aligning, we'd there was an executive on it that was saying, Oh, god, do we have to have that shot? You can see how much he's sweating. Why isn't somebody wiping the sweat off him? And you go, The sweat is the show, yeah, you know, the sweat, I mean no one sweats on tv like that you know what i mean it's just kind of like that was that was the point and also in trying to capture like that edinburgh atmosphere and what a live experience was so the way the show was was conceived was that you would film for two hours you'd film like a live event and then it, you would um uh do sort of like an edited highlight yeah. Where it wasn't necessarily like you're truncating two, you're massaging two hours, like what they would do with eight out of ten cats is they would record. I mean that's a long record. Sometimes that's like a two a two hour, two and a half hour record. The audiences get very tired, of that, and then they edit it down to half an hour. And with our one, it was meant to feel like an evening that was kind of like that very much like Elephant was made, where you spend an afternoon with this couple and then it jump cuts its way. So it feels like you've spent an afternoon with them. It's not meant to be 10, 10 minutes in the life of. yeah. yeah but I think yeah, when yeah, you make yeah. TV, the idea is that- Real this time. Was, this was real time, this was a half hour. So then we got bogged down in the edit. It was, we didn't have enough time to explore that avenue. So in the edit you get bogged down with, which hand was my microphone in? All right, well we can cheat it with continuity. that shot. Yeah. Continuity, <laughs> And the whole idea was that it was meant to be no continuity. It was meant to be just like, that bit, that's a good joke. Now we're gonna jump to the next joke. To the next joke, and interestingly, there was that um ACDC um live show, The River Plate. Uh, was that the is that one with all
0: the split screen? I think so, yeah. Uh,
2: wasn't it in South America?
0: Yeah, yeah. live at the River Plate, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. I think that's one of the most incredible uh live
0: oh, It's amazing, sh- it's, they're it's the best amazing. live band in the world for me. I adore them.
2: I mean, we were lucky, I was lucky enough to see them. It was the greatest day of my life was i had some uni friends and some new friends and some comedy friends and it was like it was about eight eight or nine of us and we all went to see them and we got stuck in traffic and it was just such a beautiful day it was when they played at wembley last and then we literally there was like a spot that was big enough for all of us on the, uh, uh, on the all, ground and we got there and they came out on stage and fuck it, yeah it was just incredible but on that river plate uh video uh, it's basically they they use split screen, and it feels like it's encapsulating a live experience because you're seeing the band, and you're seeing close-ups of Angus Young on a, on the guitar, and then you're seeing the audience, and the, the audience was so big when they... It was like
0: half a million people, I think. When they
2: jump, it's like watching the
0: ocean. <laughs> and they were going for it, weren't they? It was
2: incredible, and but there's the, ripples like waves yeah. in the ocean, and it's just absolutely magnificent. So when we did Heavy Entertainment, that was, I mean, I'm talking a lot about Heavy Entertainment, which is a show that hardly anyone watched, right? (laughs) um, Well,
0: hopefully now they will.
2: But when we did Heavy Entertainment, we used, instead of split screen, uh, we got loads of TVs that we stuck around uh, the audience. Yeah like old sort of like fucked up tvs with kind of like static on them
0: and stuff at an angle like yeah yeah yeah.
2: and so there's a shot of me on stage and in the foreground there'll be uh, a shot like a close-up of the side of my face so you've got multiple angles within the same shot so it's kind of like we thought about it like that like what haven't we seen as kind of like live them before um yeah and that was kind of like about how do we get onto that we're talking about Time limits.
0: Well, we're here and then and Edinburgh. Everywhere. Told you, we're going in depth and all over.
2: So with Edinburgh, yeah, I think that in a way, if, if I had to do it next week, it would happen next week. Or if I had to do it in a year's time, it would you'd just you'd just put off writing it for a year. What's good about August is that you can't move it. Yeah, and that's what I always liked about it. I'd always book myself in, in like at the beginning of the year, January, February, and then there'd always be a show. And sometimes, you know, your life would get in the way and the show would be you know, uh when I was back when I was doing theatre, the show is basically what it's like an exam. It's like it's like summer exams at school. You know, it's kind of
0: like the culmination of that six months leading up to it, yeah, you right?
2: You do all of your uh revision and then pens down and then you gotta do the you've got to do the exams, which is Edinburgh. Or you know, it is what it is When you can change stuff in Edinburgh but basically that is kind of like your final presentation and um, and then you start again in you know there's a new school year there's a new in September there's a whole new load of comedians that have been discovered for the first time that August and then they start and they're the new guys
0: well it can happen can't it in a year I mean was there a turning year for you 2010 2010 and was that because of the material you were doing because the right people were coming to see you what was the the elements at play do you think that
2: um i think it was um right right place right time it was like there was an inkling of it in 2009 where i so i did my uh, i spent 10 years writing a play um or maybe it was seven years yeah so in, in 1998 or 1999 when i was still at school i started writing a play I had the idea, the nugget of an idea for a play. And in 2006, I put myself in for Edinburgh and I was like, if I don't do it this year, I'll never do it. So I wrote this play. And it's the culmination of seven years' worth of work. One-man play? It was a two-man two play. Two-man. And um, it was like a duologue. Or two parallel monologues. And um, and we I worked, you know, worked really hard on it, really pleased with it. Uh, did it in St. Albans, got loads of good feedback. Took it out to
0: Edinburgh. Got
2: one star in the Scotsman.
0: One star, fuck.
2: <laughs> and we were like, oh no. And apparently they phoned up the, um, uh, the theatre, but I still, I, I'm not 100% convinced, but they said it was a printing error and it was meant to be two stars, which I think is worse. Yeah. Because oh, it, cause at least if it's one star, you get people coming to see you out of morbid curiosity. Yeah, yeah, but if it's yeah, two yeah. stars, then it's just like, you can't sell just, that just at all. Just forgettable, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we we packed out the next day after our one star review came out, and we were, actually won the audience over. They at first they were like laughing ironically at everything that we were doing. It's just like that bit's not even meant to be funny. <laughs> and then um, and then uh, and then by the end of it, they sort of like, what, well, we won them over." But um, but I was just like, if you're going to spend seven years writing something then, and get one
0: star, then I, I where, where do you go from there mentally in terms of your morale and your confidence?
2: I just thought it was just like. uh, I think confidence wise, I was sort of like happy with the show, which I think is a big important thing that you can justify it to yourself. If you're not happy with something and someone says, that's shit, you know, And and you agree with them you're just like yeah i know you're right i should have you, uh, you've let yourself down you feel like you should have tried harder but if you don't agree and you can justify that then i don't think it really matters what anyone says uh and and so i think that there's and, and i think that from a creative point of view everyone at some point will sit on either side of the fence they'll go no, you're right i did that it did lack in places or there'll be some projects where you can absolutely defend it to the end you know um Uh, But with the play, I was just kind of like, "Oh no, I I was, I was still happy with it." I found it quite baffling, Uh, and then it turned out that it was written by um, the review is by a a, a journalist that had seen us before, and she hadn't liked anything that I'd ever done. So, so it was kind of like, "Oh, fair enough." But but also, it's good because it gives you the
0: attitude that, "Well, fuck it."
2: Yeah, and. uh, and also, you, you learn, well, I learn, I've learned over the years, I'm not particularly interested in reviews. I'm not interested in what people say. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky up to this point, that's metal, isn't it? That is metal. It's <laughs> not quite metal. the same.
0: It's going to have to work. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: I'm lucky that I've generally had uh, nice reviews. Um, but um, but I, I still steer clear of reading them.
0: And do you apply that? avoidance to the online commentary as well. Oh fucking is it's, right.
2: modern, <laughs> online is just is, is just ridiculous. <laughs> also people just think that they're right online.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Uh and and you know I'd I'd be one of them if I did it. But the thing is there's no room for debate.
0: No.
2: You know, um I did a live at the Apollo and someone got in contact with me. No, someone just, you know, tweeted me at live left uh, my live at the Apollo thing saying uh uh Something like, nice one, mate, making fun of people with, uh, taking the piss out of depression and and suicide and stuff. And
0: you go... Um, no, I'm not taking the piss out of people I'm, with it.
2: I suffer from yeah. depression. And I'm talking about my experience with depression. And I am within my rights to talk about and to make jokes about anything that I directly come in contact with. There's a difference between uh, making fun of and and even if, uh, and to be fair, I would be allowed to make fun of it, I would be allowed to make fun of my own condition, but there is, there is, uh, there's a difference between making fun of other people with it, and talking about your own experience with it in a humorous way, and so, you know, somebody, this is as an example, so somebody has an opinion on you, based on that, and then you kind of like, meet them, and uh, not meet them physically, but you know, <laughs> you, 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 you take what they say on board, and then you argue your point, but then, Th- your point doesn't matter, because they've made their decision. Another thing was somebody call, called me anti-Semitic once, right They said, uh, they said "Your song is anti-Semitic." And um, the, the, the point
0: that they were saying, What was the, what was the this, line in there?: The song was from Got their goat. The
2: song was from my song uh, the, the line was from the song "Wings," which is where I say, "I've got no love for the Dewey Decimal system." And they thought I said Dewey Decimal System. And they called me anti-Semitic. And you go, the Dewey Decimal System is a system named after a guy called Dewey. It was, his name wasn't Dewey Decimal, was it? but it was like Dewey something. Dewey something. And you go... With um, a D. With a D, And it was just kind of like, it's, it's, the, it's the library referencing system that they use in, in the libraries. You know, and you go... So it's kind of like anything can be taken out of context, is it?
0: If people are as stupid as they often... I mean, that is fucking ridiculous. (laughs) You just like
2: go, oh my God. But but in in the world, there's at least one person out there that thinks that I'm an anti-Semite.
0: Well, probably two or more because he'll have told at least one friend. Oh my God, I'm not listening to that guy again.
2: And you'd you'd hope, I mean, but it it, it, it says more of a a statement about uh, libraries and the fact that they're dying out.
0: Then, I don't know anything else. It's right, so it's just an antiquated <laughs> the, reference. The
2: du decimal system is doing it. But so, so I did this play, and then uh, in August, and then in September, I did my first ever gig, September two thousand and six, and then I did my second gig in like January two thousand um, and seven. Uh, and have
0: you always been quite a uh, confessional stand up comic?
2: No, and um, um, no. Um, it was much more of an act well, no Let me see I think that my act has evolved in the sense that I'm a lot more comfortable as myself on stage
0: now so You can be more open and so I can uh, be more vulnerable
2: I wouldn't say that I would say what I would say is that because I'm because I'm thinking a lot about it because this is my first edward show in six years I did a tour show two years ago, which was very sort of confessional and anecdotal. And, uh, and I told a lot, a lot of stories about my life and stuff. or, or you know, not, so not celebrity stories about my life. But sort of like, you know, just... Uh, it was a storytelling show where you're kind of like...
0: About your experiences. Yeah.
2: Or, uh, or about like one... You're threading kind of like this
0: story together. so
2: at the end of it, it's kind of like... Ta-da. Um, so that was new for me. But what I would say is that um, uh, I've always been. I have I, all of my plays, and I was in. I used to write music, and uh, I still write music. But I started off in a, in like a couple of bands at school. Wrote music, wrote poems. Uh, that went into theatre. I started writing theatre because I was terrible at auditions. So I was really rubbish. I wanted to act, rubbish at auditions, so I never got any parts. So then. Started
0: writing, proper Renaissance man, Nick.
2: Well, out of out of out necessity, of necessity, but also uh, you know, Renaissance man, definitely. <laughs> 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 but all of this stuff was shit when I started. Yeah, but everybody stuff starts shit, and you do stuff for twenty years, and you you eventually get good, or yep. you get a break. But it's consistency. You know, it's kind of like there's there's talent, there's luck, there's hard work, there's I don't know, perseverance. And I think that you need a bit of everything. You can work really hard, but in the wrong direction, and and not realize that. And no one's saying that you didn't work hard, but you worked hard on the wrong thing. Or you were in the wrong place at the wrong oh, unlucky. time. Unlucky, yeah, yeah, and 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 you know you had that moment, and they didn't, uh, and it was the best thing you ever did, but nobody saw it, you know. So this is kind of like, so then your way of 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 getting around the right place at the right time is just to keep going because eventually you will get a break. I was doing stuff, you know. I wrote my first show in two thousand, my first Edinburgh show in two thousand one, um, and I only got an audience in 2010, so
0: that was not So that's the perseverance element. If you didn't have that, you would have jacked it. You just keep going. But
2: then, but but, uh, that's luck as well. Because by the time I got to 2010, and I'd already given up on my dreams, (laughs) so when anything good happened. I really appreciated it. I loved it. And if you I didn't have expectations. Didn't so have any expectations. Disappointment and didn't come. So, so it was kind of like if it had come to me in in two thousand and one, I wouldn't have known that, that it's meant to be hard. And it, you know, and so I just think that it gave me a lot of perspective. Also, in that amount of time, I wrote. So by the time anyone found me, they said, "Have you got any anything else?" And you go, "Yeah, I've got almost ten a years decade. worth of material." Yeah. Brilliant. So that you know, they go. Do you want to, can you do a TV show? And you go, yeah, because I've got this, 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 and this, and I've got like all of these notes and these ideas that I've been writing and songs as well. Songs, you've got like a whole backlist of stuff that you can use, and it's, and and no one's seen it because it's all been kind of like. So that is.
0: um So it's like training, really, isn't it? It's like.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, you're forming. Apprenticeship. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of like doing all that stuff. So also, if you. I mean I th- the way I think about it is if you get you know there's a lot of th- when I was re- I'm not sure about now but when I first started out there were loads of comedy competitions and you'd have to do 5 minutes and that's all anyone had when they were new acts anyway it was 5 minutes and then the prize would be you get to do 20 minutes and you go oh so i've got 5 minutes and in- of good stuff and 15 minutes of filler and so then you'd instantly be found out because you didn't have the you didn't have enough material yeah and i just think that you know, good things come to those who wait. And I think that, you know, it's about like um, uh, building up a portfolio and a repertoire and kind of like, and by the time that you get. It's just be about being patient, really. Like if you if you really want it, work hard. Uh, and you can learn talent as well. So talent is, you know, you can, through trial and error, you can learn what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, if, you're, um, if you've got no stagecraft, you get up on stage and you can get over your nerves or you can at least hide your nerves. Um, and these things come with practice. You don't have to be naturally gifted at something. You can kind of like learn how to do that um, if that's what you want to do. And then you know, so it's kind of like there's a lot of if some if people are out there are listening and they're trying to kind of like in, in whatever you know, not just stand up, but like um, it, in in any walk of life, you know, if you if you work hard uh, and you're uh, persistent and you get out there. I mean, I wrote in I I had like a big. Um, patch of depression in the mid 2000s
0: did it come from out of nowhere did um, you always have I think I've always of, I think
2: I've always been depressed
0: but um um does it run in your family or
2: no not so much I don't think um but it, it, it's I, I'm sort of like exploring it in my show at the moment and I know I'm sort of like talking about it on stage a bit a bit A lot, and um, uh, but it it doesn't have to be morbid, but but you can talk about depression and mental health without making it like sad.
0: Yeah, but um, well, the same with death. Yeah, absolutely. These are these subjects. These are things that should.
2: Yeah, exactly. They should. You you should should,
0: normalize them, and yeah,
2: Um, and the thing about um, uh, the way I'm trying to sort of like with. There's a difference between sadness and depression, mm-hmm. and you can be sad without being depressed. But the thing about depression is, when even when you're happy, it's still there. It's like a black cloud over you, and um, and you can have kind of like days or weeks where you're sort of happy, but it's kind of like that. It, it follows
0: you around. Dude, I have it like no one's business, so I, I get it. It's, it's it's a constant niggling fucking. <laughs> and, 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 and challenge isn't it to overcome yeah, that's the way i try and look at it like a...
2: ups and downs and i think that the important thing to remember is when you're down there will be an up yeah but the other but the flip side of that is when you're up you know that there's some sort of crash coming um, and it's kind of like a very it's a difficult thing to sort of like it's famously difficult thing to deal with but um, but I went through a, a big patch of depression. So one of the things that I've found um, that I've been able to deal with, the way I've been able to deal with depression, is that I've always been creative. Yeah. So I've always thought, even when I'm depressed, you can I'll, express. I'll express myself or I'll write about it, and then at least something positive is coming out of that period of time. But there was a big patch in the mid two thousands, actually, when I was living in Brighton, and it was the worst time of my life. And I met my friend, and she saved me. Um, there was a big patch where I would not leave the house and I would write and write and write, and I would be so frustrated because I wasn't getting anywhere but one of the things that I realized afterwards was that you can write the greatest thing in the world, you know you can write the greatest stories or the greatest songs but until you Show someone else, and you get out of the house, and you get up out of bed, and leave outside the front door. No one will know
0: about it. It's like the bedroom jammer. You know, you could play any lick in the world, but until you get out and perform that to an audience, what's the point?
2: What, not, but not. What's the point? But um, it's only part of the. It's only part of the puzzle. And actually, I'm one of the things that I genuinely believe is that good things happen
0: when you leave the house. Absolutely. Do you um, know Frank Turner? You know that singer? No. So he has a, a real kind of thread through all his music where he's all about getting outdoors and being outside and interacting with people on the street. And just even if you go for a walk, like if you're feeling like shit, don't stay indoors with the curtains closed, which is a typical go-to kind of, I think, solace Place of comfort for people who are feeling down, isn't it? And it, it? is but comforting. It is, yeah.
2: Um, but yeah, getting out. And it's not just about getting some fresh air, you know, about. Um,
0: just the people that you are interacting with. Exactly. Interacting with yeah, people. And, the...
2: and, and, and if you're creative and you're frustrated and you're on your own and you're in your house, get out. I'm doing a song, I've been doing a song in, the pre, in, in my previews that uh, I wrote 14 years ago that I've never played before in front of another human being. One human being, in fact, was my teacher, um, my ex-teacher at the time, because I'd left school by then. Yeah, you hadn't broken
0: up. <laughs> and, um,
2: and, um, and then I haven't played it for anyone, and I'm playing it now on people. It's really sad, and it doesn't really necessarily belong in a comedy show, because it's really sad. But I think if everything else is funny around it, it might work. And if not, I'll cut it. But... It's getting like positive responses, and you go, "Why didn't I play this 14 years ago? It could I could have had a different life." Do you know what I mean? Um,
0: do you think that sometimes it's good to elicit emotions aside from humor in a hundred percent a, a stand-up show as well, like 100%. unease, kind of? Yeah,
2: I I did a show in a tiny cabin, uh, and we filled it with uh, dry ice. And it was confusing and scary yeah. to everyone entering. We played rock music like so loud that people couldn't think straight. And then I came out with with lights in the darkness with like uh, fairy lights all over me, spelling my name out. And people were fucking terrified <laughs> of me for an hour. And that wasn't what we necessarily intended. It was meant to be an intense show, but we came out and people were fucking terrified. I did one show where the entire front row ran out of the cabin because it was so overwhelming for them. Like in different stages throughout the show. And um and I love that. Yeah. You know, I wanted that show to be like surviving the saw ride thought <laughs> part, you know. It's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. Um, I made it to the end. Yeah. And and that was that's like a proper rollercoaster. And then some shows meant to be kind of like just I've written some shows that were just meant to be silly. I've written some shows that were meant to be like bittersweet. And um um and I'm I'm sort of Then like, a
0: bit of a cry is good as well, right?
2: I, I love that stuff. I love that I mean I think that there's always... there's. I mean, if you look at something as mainstream as
0: Pixar movies,
2: they're amazing. That well, the first
0: five minutes and up, like something like first that. First five minutes
2: were up. The Jessie song in Toy Story 2. I mean, the I think Toy Story 2 is a masterpiece,
0: right? It's so but good. Have you seen 4 yet? I no, haven't. I
2: haven't seen it. I didn't love 3. I didn't love 3 either. I felt like it was just like... I felt like 1 and 2 were great. Gold and then standard. 3 is still very good, but it was all... Mm, it was like, I feel like this one's for money. Yeah. And then also, I felt like the existential stuff that they were bringing into, it was almost pornographic. It was just like, you're just trying to outdo your last show, you know, your last film. Um, So this one, I'm kind of like, yeah, okay, I will see it. But Toy Story 2, or when the Pixar films work really well, is that they're really funny and then there's something that just hits a nerve and is like spot on. really sums something up and then it kind of makes all the funny stuff
0: uh contextualized gives it weight as well right yeah
2: and i think that i i some of my favorite comedians are just like uh i love lee mac and uh his shows are just so funny and you laugh for an hour um and there is, there is obviously, there's room for that. And, you, and as a comedian, you don't have to do that. But for my personal taste and what I do, I think I do like mixing those things. And I don't see why everything has to be funny. And I don't see why everything has to be rosy. And um, I, I do try and leave my audiences on a high. I do love it when they leave my shows feeling, like, uh, energised and uh excited and happy that's obviously my goal but i don't always feel like the most direct route there is to go isn't everything great yep i think that if you take them on a journey if you take them on a journey and and, you know it's not an easy journey and then you land them safely at the end you know we've all been through something together and if people cry i mean i don't know I haven't got to that point where I'm actually just uh, I've pieced the entire show together. I don't know. I know that my last tour that I did, I had a a story about um, a ranking story that went horrifically badly, and like men specifically were fainting,
0: actually fainting, passing out, fainting
2: their heads. The the, uh, people had to, (laughs) and it was was graphic in its nature. It was so graphic. It (laughs) was just (laughs) horrific, right? And um, true story as well uh, And they were like I think it happened at like At least five maybe six Different gigs out of a 30 date tour And uh, And you've got to be happy with that right that's I was so point. happy about that But that's that's what that show was attempting to do That show was meant to be like a horror Visceral. show It was not meant to be a horror show In terms of vampires and werewolves But it was a horror show in terms of like um, it It crept up on people without them expecting it,
0: and then... Uh, just shock like, and disgust. Yeah,
2: and it was just that this moment, and people were fainting, and, you know, uh, go, <laughs> I'm very concerned for the individuals, but that is definitely going on the poster next year. <laughs> you <know> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So that's, a, that's one reaction that you can have, but then a, I think that getting something out other than laughter out of an audience is, is fun.
0: How did TV help the stand-up, or did you take time away from stand-up when you started doing the TV?
2: Um, it depends what TV. Um,
0: like Uncle, when you started Uncle, when were, I you started, still do, were you still doing regular stand-up shows and tours around that first season? Oh,
2: uh, yeah, and in actual fact, I continued to do stand-up to the point when, um, when I have gigs, uh, the day is ruined because i get so wound up and tense about the gig that i can't get any work done because i know that i've got this gig coming in the evening so i'm just sort of like i spend you know all day worrying about that um uh, so that's obviously
0: not a conducive (laughs) headspace to be occupying when you're on set no so well <laughs> so when I'm also
2: it's a very long day I mean I've just worked with Ramesh Ranganathan and he's just he's crazy how much he he works I wouldn't consider myself lazy but
0: he's machine is he
2: it's ridiculous he's and, and plus he's got a wife and kids and yeah that's
0: the other thing isn't it it's when you see these guys you're like omnipresent and always working but then also have a private life and a family life as well but think, how you balance Noel I,
2: I think this, uh, part of it is a bit like It's just like any job Where you work uh, Monday to Friday Every week The difference with Romish is that he'll be Working on TV shows But then once he's finished one TV show There'll be another TV show afterwards uh, But it is A case of just working every day Yeah you know. Um, so I think there is that And actually that's the dream is to just be consistently. Working. Well, it's
0: great to be busy, right? But when you're working, you distracted from uh, your demons as well. That's what I find I, I love it. I love it. I'm not busy. I'm like, oh, I hate my life. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: yeah, absolutely. And then um, but the, the difference is about the fact that he's working. I mean, you get up at, what, 5.30, 6 o'clock, and you go in to set, and you're there about 7, 7.30, you're in makeup, and then you're on set at 9 o'clock and you're recording until 7 o'clock in the evening, 6 o'clock in the evening, then you're home by seven thirty, eight o'clock. And then he'll do, like, new material, an hour, a tour show, work in progress, yeah. charity
0: gig. Post- podcast that he does. And, it's, the...
2: and it's just sort of like, you go, okay. Um, but um, You should
0: start a podcast, man, with all your music as well. You could do something great.
2: I do a radio show on Fubar Radio with my right, friend right. Nathaniel where we just talk about films, and that becomes a podcast, but um I, also i do think that there's um
0: i don't a lot of I do, there are <laughs> a lot of podcasts but also
2: i think that there's a lot of comedians that do podcasts and i don't necessarily know what are, it's like a bit like getting a tattoo what would it be
0: well i think you could offer something unique to the podcast canon because of the background in theater music comedy it could be a proper all singing all dancing variety show sure in the old school sense sure i don't know would you do a live album
2: i've done i've done that i've got two i've got two albums based on uh recordings from Death to dream and keep hold of the gold which were my first two breakout shows in uh edinburgh so i've done that so i think and i've got the uncle album so i've got about like five albums but two studio albums so yeah i i mean i just like i like I don't know. I just don't like do what comes and then...
0: Do you like being in a studio? Do you like recording?
2: Uh, if or... I've got an idea, yeah. then yeah. But if <laughs> I'm in a studio and I haven't got an idea and I'm trying to write one, then no. I'm kind of like, in terms of creativity, it's uh, what generally happens is it's, um, it's, it's 100% inspiration. You can't just
0: shit it out. No. Yeah.
2: Well on on something well, I'll tell you what though. So so when we did Uncle, they would say, Right, we want um a uh country ballad uh called No Survivors and it's equating a relationship to uh, a horrific accident. And that's like I wrote all the songs for the first series of Uncle uh on in one week while i was on holiday in egypt with food poisoning so i spent
0: most of the time just on the toilet on the toilet <laughs> notepad in hand with an with a ipad just <laughs> singing into my
2: ipad <laughs> <You survived. laughs> and uh but so so but that was just like i wrote a song a day while i was away and then it was kind of like um
0: i love the music in that show it's great I,
2: what i love about it is because um uh if you have to generate all your own ideas then it's overwhelming because you go oh literally i could write something about absolutely anything so i'll write about nothing but on uncle they would kind of prompt you and then you would change it like for instance no survivors wasn't a country ballad in the end it's like a brian adams yeah guns and roses like rock ballad but um uh, and would you'd make changes, and sort of like the titles would change, and kind of, but they'd give you, they'd give you the information you needed, and they needed because they didn't want like every single song to be in the same genre, so you'd kind of like write. Um, I think uh, one of the what ones, was the hardest one to write? Oh, the hardest one to write. It's funny though. The hardest one to write was um, "Fight for the Future." From, that was I think that was the last episode of series two, which I hate that song because I think it's I think it's pointless I think where the songs i think when the songs work, they do storytelling,
0: yeah, yeah, and yeah. so
2: the characters have moved on it's either character stuff where you learn something about the character, yep, or it's story stuff where by the end of the song the show has moved on in terms of plot. And those are the ones where you go, if you took the song out, the show would uh, be less rich in a way. And with Fight for the Future, you could easily remove that song. It doesn't mean it's anything. It felt like it was shoehorned in. It was just like, but it was kind of like, uh, I didn't agree with the brief as well on that. It was kind of like, we want stuff about, the you know, um, it's going to be like painting this picture of a futuristic thing. And I'd like. I think I did so many drafts of that that it actually, that one song hung over me for the entire shoot of that second series where I was going into the recording studio at the weekend and if I'd have an afternoon, like I I was in virtually every scene so I never had any time off really, but occasionally you'd have like a, a, an afternoon where you weren't needed so I'd go have to go back into the recording studio and just basically bang my head against the wall getting Fight for the Future done and, the, and then you get it and you go, it's absolutely fine, but... In terms of what it means what for point the show. Did it serve? You know, if somebody said if somebody said this this song is this is like I wouldn't be able to defend that song particularly because it was literally that was one where it was just an absolute grind. Yeah, yeah. But then uh, saying that all the songs are really difficult, in the last series they had enough budget for four songs in seven episodes. And um and I think we had a budget for Maybe it was, well maybe it was three songs for seven episodes in the last series, and it was four songs for six episodes in the second series, and I wrote six songs but they only used five in the first series, and I was just kind of like, well if you don't want to use the songs, you don't have to put the songs in for me.
0: Just for the sake of having them in.
2: If you don't want them, don't put them in, you
0: know. yeah, because I don't want you to feel like... It wasn't your list of demands, minimum no, set of songs. It wasn't personally. my
2: idea. The original series...
0: When... It, it wasn't written by you, even. This, I think, is a mis- like a common misconception. And I don't right?
2: understand where that's come from, because it says it's at the beginning of clearly. every episode, yeah, written yeah. by
0: Oliver Refson
2: and Lila Van Gogh, Yeah. <laughs> um, at the beginning of it. I write the songs, and I think that... Um, so, originally, there was a script going around, and I don't know how long it was Was the part
0: around. written with you in mind?
2: No. There was a script going around... That was I was writing some blaps at Channel Four, at at Baby Cow, which was um, Steve Coogan. Yeah, uh, Steve Coogan's company. So when I was in Edinburgh in two thousand and eleven, Henry Normal, who's Steve Coogan's partner at the time, um, a business partner, um, came to see my show Dare to Dream. Then I got nominated for the Foster's Award. Then. and uh, Channel 4 said, do you want to make some blaps? And I said, yeah. And they said, you can work with anyone you want. And I was like, Steve Coogan, because he's my hero. Uh, and Channel 4 and Baby Cow didn't really have a working relationship at that point. It was all BBC. Um, and um, I did the blaps with them. And, and part of the blaps were I was writing a thing about a guy on a park bench talking to a kid and giving him bad life advice. <laughs> For baby cow and Henry Normal came in and he said, "Look, this is your first bit of TV. What I suggest you do is you take two songs and a poem that have already worked. You know, you've done them live, you've tried and tested them. You take two songs, poem, and we make them into your blaps." And I was like, fine. Okay, I was a bit disappointed that I didn't get to write something. But it was yeah, just like, yeah. okay, we'll do that. The blaps are fucking incredible. They still stand up to today. You know, there's two really great music videos that I did with my mate John Reish and a poem. And Channel 4 really liked them. And then, coincidentally, Baby Cow got a script for a pilot script called Uncle. And I think it had been around for a, a year at least. And... um it was about an out of work actor who had to look after his nephew and I read it and I, I liked the script, but I was also a bit unsure about what direction they were going in. So, um, Henry normal just said, we've got this script. Can you read it? Nick? And I read it and I came in and I was nothing. I just started. I just started. i would literally had one year of anyone knowing who or yeah, of yeah. getting any like TV work or anything like that. And, um, uh, and I, I met Ollie, who'd written, who'd written the pilot by himself, I think. Um, and we had a little chat. And uh, at the end of the meeting, Henry just said, uh, "Right, so do you do you like Nick?" And Ollie was like, "Yeah." And he was like, "Do you like Ollie?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he goes, "Well, why don't you have a little chat and then let's get this made?" And he was like, "What?" <laughs> And it was as simple, simple as, that. as that. It was, just, and I thought that's how TV gets made. Uh, yeah, it's just really easy. And so I just talked to Wally about the sort of stuff that we're into. I really loved the Royal Tenenbaums. What a movie! But I also like um, Happy Gilmore, right? Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know where Uncle was on that.
0: Totally, where it was going to sit. Because I can
2: see it being either on paper and. When we talked about Royal Turnbums, I was like, yeah, good. That's what I want to make. I don't want to make something that's really kind of like crass. And
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It is that,
2: but it has
0: It's got layers and it's got depth, yeah. It's completely. got light and
2: shade. And, um, uh, and, and, and Hen- the one thing Henry said was, the thing is, if you make him a musician, then Nick can write a song every week. I didn't even come up with that or, or, or float that idea and they made him into a musician and then because of that I think that it, and, and then we did the pilot on Channel 4 and I did the pilot instead of doing a second series of this other show where I was doing live stuff live at the electric yeah yeah right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I really loved
0: did uh, you enjoy the experience of that show I'd, what uncle
2: yeah the pilot was incredible I'd, uh, I didn't I'd, I'd never done any uh, proper acting I've done some student films where I was terrible Really big And um, And so I watched The Michael Caine documentary on acting Right, that that was your schooling And he just basically says don't do anything So I spent (laughs) the whole time Just like talking very quietly And and underplaying everything And then um, As much as I could And I got to act with Daisy And Daisy said well done And you go Oh my God. she's a she's an actress she knows what she's doing
0: and uh, it's just such a well cast show like all the character, even con neil con o'neill is it con O'Neill, yeah. fantastic like yeah. why isn't that guy in more stuff i've only ever seen him in the joe meek film chernobyl and an uncle but yeah. he's incredible yeah like that scene right at the end of series three when What's he's that? he's crying
2: tell stars that was called yes yeah that's, that's the joe film. meek story that's a really great yeah. film um He's so good. He is great. I like, and but also, so so I think um, there have, it was weird because when, because uh, I was in all the castings because we had to have um, chemistry tests. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd go in, uh, so I had to go for my first chemistry test and we were casting my sister and I get there and there's this actor, actor, actress stood in the street and it's Daisy and I recognize her off of Psychoville and I, uh, and then that was the first moment that I realized that we were doing something proper. I was just like, oh. And then we did a chemistry read, and she was great. Um, and then we did chemistry read with like a bunch of kids, and then a chemistry read with... Um, uh, um, no, because I did a chemistry read for the series as well when we were picking uh, Melody. And um, that's where I met Esther. Um, but then oh, we did a chemistry read for the pilot as well. We must have all been in the same place. But um, yeah, it's a wonderfully cast show. I, I, I just I I loved it. I loved it. Um uh, Dylan uh, Moran.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: that's that was a real that was a real weird one because it's like Dylan Moran is obviously an absolute legend, and we had some really kind of like great people that came along, and um, yeah, but but you couldn't cast. Uh, too big because you, you, you couldn't break the little world that yeah
0: really he takes it in. out of the but there was sort of like some
2: in. really good there were some really good people in it and also some of my friends were in it
0: so did you know any of the actors previously I
2: knew uh, Daniel Daniel Lawrence Taylor who plays Bruce right uh, Bruce yeah um, uh, he was in a sketch group and I used to put out chairs in a comedy club and he was in one of the Right, right. So he was kind of like, and then, we <laughs> but I knew him before. And then, um, Gemma Whelan, who is has just done Game of Thrones. Who's yeah, yeah. Who's, I think she's she's a, in loads of stuff. She's a She's star. She's like she's she was doing in that Alice really Lowe well. film,
0: Revenge. Really good in that.
2: She's Gemma's brilliant. Uh, but I saw her very first ever stand-up gig, and really because um, she's she was an actor and she just started doing stand-up uh, to get more stage time for. Um, uh, equity Right And I think that's why she started Because her agent said You know Get more stage And then what I saw her do her first gig And then Oh I, Yeah I love her uh, And Brett Goldstein
0: um, Casper yeah <laughs>
2: Casper uh, The thing about that was um, I don't take credit For um, Brett doing it Because he had to audition And work very hard <laughs> uh, To get the part But It was written For like A 20 year old Justin Bieber type Right right and I read the script and I was just like, Do you know, who would be really good, but he's not right the way you've written it would be Brett. And then I turn up for work and he's at work and you go, oh my God, I love him so much. He's he's amazing. Like, he's very he's talented in his own right. I didn't get him the part, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he, yeah, I just. Um, yeah so every day, every time that me and Brett had a scene together I was just that it was always my favorite day because you know it's crazy being on a film set it's like being on I always think it's like being on a cold war submarine <laughs> you've got a microphone on all day yeah, yeah, you're having yeah. a personal private meltdown
0: we did an interview with Marilyn Manson for uh, Scuzz TV, a channel I used to work on and he had the mic on and he went off to the toilet and all we just heard was <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you
2: can't do anything private no. like, and, um, and when you've got a friend on set it's just literally just like, oh thank god, it's like that Sylvester Stallone story from yeah. the, from the <laughs> 70s Cradle the balls and Craig the shift
0: Yeah um, and how was the experience of Loaded as well? Did you enjoy that one? Loaded Again, was, like an amazing ensemble cast. Yeah. People like Nigel Planner turning up I in mean, it. Because
2: like, there's us four boys, and then we actually have one of the young ones in it, and you go, well. yeah. Um, Loaded, <laughs> was, um,
0: Loaded was. That was only one season, right?
2: It was one season, but it took fucking five months to film.
0: Was it a huge budget? I mean, all the locations you've got, the house in, I in think itself. It was, I
2: think I think it was about a million an episode. It was really wow because um, so what it was was it was um, uh, it was a co-pro between Channel Four and AMC. Channel right. Four couldn't afford to make it unless they went in co-production with AMC, who do like The Walking Dead and uh, I think they did Breaking Bad. Um, so it's like this co-production where. Channel 4 put up half the money, AMC put up the... other Is that half why you got money. the
0: American actress in it?
2: I think that's why it was, I th- you know, uh, that's why I got Mary McCormack in it, because um, because it was like an international thing. Um, and I went from Making Uncle, where we had um, Elliot on set, who was under 16. So you weren't allowed to swear in front of him weren't allowed to talk about. Uh, so all the th- it was ridiculous. He was 15 when we filmed the last series, and he, there was a line that he had to say when he was f- he was 15. We were filming in September and in November he turned 16, and he had a line that was, uh, "Well, you're the one that's snorting coke, or something like that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wasn't allowed to say snorting coke.
0: Doing hard drugs is that why S- that's the line? Is it? So he
2: said, "You're the one that's sorting code." And then we waited six weeks, and then he said, "Snorting coke into a microphone." And then they dubbed it and over. And then they dubbed it over, and it was just ridiculous. Wow! So from that to just being us, you know, four guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all the same age, mostly the same interests. Uh, I, I always used to say we were like the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles.
0: <laughs> we all had. Like, we even got the little layer. Jim was yeah.
2: Jim was the uh, leader. Yeah, and, uh, and then we had uh, Johnny was. Uh, Donatello. <laughs> uh, I was the party dude, Michael Michelangelo, <laughs> and uh, you had Sam, who was like Raphael, who'd like go off on his own and play trumpet. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so there's kind of like, yeah, and it was it was great. It was like great in a different way. Yeah, yeah. And also, it's it was very hard. It was it was because with um, with Uncle, uh, I was the star, and or I was the lead, and. Uh, I hadn't auditioned for it and everyone was cast around me yep. to make it into a vehicle for me, I suppose. Um,
0: which is amazing when you think about which it, is, isn't it?
2: Which is, yeah, which is amazing. I don't mean that in like, but we were doing um, chemistry tests to make sure that
0: it we the had story, the right yeah. energy yeah, yeah. with
2: the other cast members in terms of me yeah, and we'd loaded, they were trying to f- cast four people but that was one of those things where I, uh, I mean, it's the only time I've ever auditioned for something and got the part. And there were loads of auditions for it. And it was one of those things where uh, I think basically everyone in the stand-up, or everyone in the comedy industry knew about Loaded. Um,
0: and probably wanted a piece of it because it was such a fun show to do.
2: It was a really fun show to do. Um, uh, is auditioning horrible? Auditioning is awful. You, you, even if you have a good audition, you come out of it feeling like a total bell end. You know there's no way around it, yeah. and also you can have a good audition and you can feel like that was a good audition, and you'll never hear from them again, and you can have a terrible audition and then get the part you know it's kind of like um you know that doesn't hasn't happened loads, but like with me, but like in terms of there's no rhyme or reason to it in, in terms of I think they pretty much know what they want when you've walked through the door
0: um so all you can really do is turn up and be yourself and. Yeah, mate, hope for the best.
2: I hope for the best, I guess. But I think that I, I'd done quite a lot in the previous auditions to make them want me. And then on the final audition, I turned up and I had like this three-page monologue. And I hadn't learned it because I'm terrible at learning lines. If you get, if I get the part... I which can, is mad as a comedian. I can, yeah, yeah. I can do it really... I can do it quite... With Uncle, I was in every scene and I'd learn them scene by scene, day by day. You know, I'd look at my sides, which is like a condensed script for what you're going to do that day. And I'd look at the lines and then I'd do the scene, and then I'd forget that scene, and then I'd move on to the next scene, and I'd do that every day for three months. But with uh, auditions, I, the words just don't go in. Um, and um, and with Lady it I had like, this three-page monologue, and it was like, um, uh, what would be really great, Nick, is if you learnt it, uh, because when we film you, for the Americans, they'll want to see your eyes. And I was like, oh, right, yeah, sure. So there's the casting lady, there was the producer, and there was the director all behind a table with a camera. And then you're sat on a chair in the middle of a room
0: with your script. And four so. pages of dialogue, did you say? And they say
2: yeah, three pages three. of um monologue. And uh, uh, dialogue's not so bad because yeah, you yeah, get you cues. And, yeah, and then bouncing, yeah. And they said, uh, how long do you think it would take you to learn it? And I was like, oh, I don't know, 20 minutes? And they went, oh, great. Would well, you want to go downstairs in the room downstairs and then uh, come back when you're ready? I was like, yeah, sure. And I left the room and had a full-on fucking meltdown. I was just like, you fucking dick. Why the fuck did you say that you could do it in 20 minutes? And then I just have this fucking, it's just awful. I'm learning I learn this thing. And I get to the point that it's in my head for like, it, it's going to be in my head for like one minute, 30 seconds. I just need to get in the room, say it out loud in front of the people, uh, and, and get you know on camera and I went in and I just did it and uh, then I got the part but it was just they're, they're awful they're always awful and you always leave feeling like an absolute arsehole um, but um, you know that was that was that was a different experience for Uncle because it, it was great because we were all like the same age and had sort of like the same experiences but it was also kind of uh, you get very paranoid on a set and it's kind of and it's kind of like one of the reasons why I'm going back into... Uh, I took a break from stand-up so that I could write loads of TV and write, write loads of treatments without the threat of having a gig in the evening and all of that. So I took some time off of that. I took some time off for myself. And then going back into stand-up now is kind of like, oh, you get things done faster. Where you get things done?
0: Yeah, you're not going through all the red tape, are you? It's just right before. I'm you're going.
2: not. You're not asking permission from people as well to do what you love doing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of. Like, I'd love to make more TV. It's such a slow process, and in actual fact, um, while you're busy getting TV done, it's invisible work. So people just think you've disappeared. Yeah. So when yeah, you go yeah, back yeah. and do stand up, people are like, "Where have you been? <laughs> I've literally worked every writing, day. Writing, writing, writing. Um, so it's nice to go back And do stand up Where you know You can write something on stage And just start say something And express yourself Like instantly
0: Yeah right That day you could write something And then get up And just perform when it I, that night
2: When I did my first gig After after this play That took six years Seven years After that I, I wrote something on the bus On my way to my first gig And I said it on stage And I was just like
0: Immediately That's a rough i
2: I never look back It was just like Why would I Spend seven years Writing something To find out that it's one star <laughs> If I can say something in the moment and get an immediate reaction you yeah. know and that's yeah i love i fell in love with stand-up on that moment um and i wasn't good at it but uh Why i knew do that, that it that's takes what 100 i, wanted shows to do. I don't think i think i think that you learn something almost you, you're always learning and it was the first time I felt like I was learning since university. That's what my boxing short is really about. It's about finding something that you love doing, not being good at it, but doing it anyway for yourself. And I think, um, yeah, I just love, I love, I love, I love stand-up. I love everything. It's nice to have a mixture so that you
0: can kind of like keep everything going. And in yourself, you feeling all
2: right? Um, yeah, I have good days and bad days, you know. Um, uh Um, but yes today i'm feeling i've left the house and i felt you know as soon as i saw you outside and you said hello oh everything got better
0: oh that's all right that's nice do you know what i mean
2: and it's just kind of like one of those things where you kind of like you're in your own space and you, you think that the world is impossible and you leave the house and then you go oh hello and then
0: wayne's world (laughs) World? <laughs> you're wearing a wayne's World hat yeah, yeah 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 they know that i pretty much wear it every day so no, they'll no, they'll know no. um dude we'll wrap it there i think thank you so much for your time
2: my hand is very clammy
0: mine is too let's clam up uh we need to go do a gig together son, some, someday yeah sure i'll take you to a show i'm seeing you've got an alice cooper t-shirt on yeah so you like heavy metal you like rock and roll
2: i like alice cooper
0: yeah you like kiss um it's, it's, that's a complicated question isn't it it is i like ace freely you like ace freely yeah peter chris i love peter chris paul stanley Uh, Mm -hmm. and gene simmons Mm -hmm. there you go (laughs) uh,
2: but i like like the idea of kiss
0: well they're playing soon it's the farewell tour you want to come yeah we come see kiss for me yeah all right let's do it okay i'm gonna hold you to it i'm gonna take you to see kiss all right yeah done